Climate Watch is CGTN Radio's new podcast focusing on the impact of climate change. We have conversations with people on the front line about this critical issue. Listen to Climate Watch on all major podcast platforms and join us in taking action to save the planet we call home. Hello and welcome to The Top Story, a podcast with the headlines of the day from our correspondents from around the world. I'm Zhu Tianlu, coming up. Thousands of ethnic Armenians have packed up to leave Nagorno-Karabakh after the Azerbaijani army took over the disputed region. A space probe carrying asteroid fragments, which scientists call a gift to the world, has landed in the United States. And the new government of Thailand has waived visa requirements for travelers from China for the next five months. We begin in Asia. The Armenian Security Council says Armenia and Azerbaijan's leaders are to meet in the Spanish city of Granada next month to discuss a peace treaty. Now a mass exodus is underway for some 120,000 ethnic Armenians in the region of Nagorno-Karabakh amid fears of ethnic cleansing. Many of them are driving towards Armenia via the Larkin Corridor. An Armenian government statement said over 1,000 people had crossed the border. This came as Azerbaijani forces tightened their control over the breakaway region, seizing weapons from Armenian separatist fighters in what they call anti-terrorist operations. Meanwhile, Armenian Prime Minister Nikol Pashinyan is facing calls to resign for failing to save the Karabakh region. Charlotte Parsons has more. Homeless, hungry and facing an uncertain future, these ethnic Armenians were evacuated by Russian peacekeepers after Azerbaijan launched what it called an anti-terrorist operation in Nagorno-Karabakh. Azeris entered the village in the morning. People left as they could. Someone even left without any clothes. They couldn't take anything. There are people who haven't eaten anything. My grandchildren are with me. They're frightened and shaking with fear. They cannot sleep at night. Russian peacekeepers are here. We think it will be safe. So we stay at the airport, although we sleep 12 people in a car. On Sunday, the leader of the breakaway region said all 120,000 ethnic Armenians in the region will leave for Armenia because they're scared of what will happen if they stay. Armenians in Nagorno-Karabakh continue to face the threat of ethnic cleansing. In recent days, humanitarian aid has arrived, but this does not change the situation. And unless real living conditions are created for the Armenians of Nagorno-Karabakh in their homes and effective mechanisms of protection from ethnic cleansing, then the likelihood that the Armenians of Nagorno-Karabakh will see exile from their homeland as the only way to preserve their lives and identity will increase. The mountainous region is internationally recognized as Azerbaijani territory. But part of it has been run by separatist Armenian authorities since a war that ended in the early 90s. That changed on Tuesday, when Azerbaijan's military launched a lightning strike in the disputed region, killing hundreds of people. Thousands have been left without food or shelter. A small amount of aid has arrived, but it's nowhere near enough. And the people here are afraid to go home, despite promises from Azerbaijan to respect their rights. It's a historic opportunity for both Azerbaijan and Armenia to establish good neighborly relations and coexist side by side in peace as two sovereign states within their internationally recognized borders. 
Armenia's prime minister says everyone who wants to leave will be escorted to Armenia by Russian peacekeepers. Meanwhile, displaced Armenians can only wait and hope. That was Charlotte Parsons on the Nagorno-Karabakh tensions. The government of the Indian state of Kerala hopes that the latest outbreak of the Nipah virus is abating as no cases were reported in nearly a week. But doctors say it's too early to drop the guard as the symptoms of Nipah are similar to a regular viral fever. Radhika Bajaj has more. The coastal state of Kerala is fighting its fourth Nipah virus outbreak in five years. The virus originates in bats and is passed on to humans via saliva or urine or food items contaminated by infected animals. While not very contagious, the Nipah virus's mortality rate is among the highest for any known viral disease, making it part of WHO's list of viruses with pandemic potential. The government has ordered a surveillance survey to understand why Kerala has been repeatedly affected by Nipah. So we need to see if the uh, the prevalence of virus is more likely in certain areas or during certain seasons or certain types of bats are there other variables that uh, affect the way they shed the virus uh, or are there other uh, intermediary hosts uh, are there particular seasons where people are apparently interacting with bats a little bit more so surveillance is so important two infected persons have died in the current outbreak containment zones were created and restrictions placed since the first death on August 30th. Over 1,200 people have been tested, although the rate of positivity has been low, with a total of six infections till Friday. All the hospitals where the positive patients are being treated, they should have a medical board, and in every 12 hours they have to release, uh, they have not released, they have to give the medical report to the health department. Some restrictions were lifted in light of low infections, but doctors say the incubation period of the Nipah virus is anywhere between 4 to 15 days, and symptoms initially mimic a viral fever. As it progresses, it causes fatal respiratory and encephalitic infection in the patient. India's National Institute of Virology is in the midst of a nationwide survey and so far has found evidence of bats carrying the Nipah virus in at least nine states. Here in the state of Maharashtra, which is also on that list, the annual Ganesh festival is going on. Health authorities have sounded an alert and are also surveying patients exhibiting symptoms akin to the acute encephalitis syndrome. That was Radhika Bajaj reporting on the outbreak of Nipah virus in India. In Thailand, the new government has waived visa requirements for travellers from China for the next five months ahead of the busy holiday season. The new policy took effect on Monday and the first group of travellers from China arrived in Bangkok the same day. The move aims to attract more Chinese visitors to spur spending as the tourism-reliant nation turns to the travel industry to prop up Southeast Asia's second-largest economy. Dusita Saukwao has more in Bangkok. It's a timely decision coinciding with holiday season in China as well as peak holiday season here in Thailand. This decision was a swift one made by Thailand's newly formed government, part of a broader strategy to boost the tourism sector and by extension the country's economy. And tourism is a logical area of focus. It's an economically vital sector accounting for almost 20% of Thailand's GDP and that was before the 
pandemic. Tourists from China alone made up almost a third of Thailand's total international tourist arrivals. But so far, the recovery of this key market has been slower than expected. In the first six months of this year, around 1.4 million visitors from China have arrived in Thailand. This visa-free policy for Chinese tourists is estimated to add up to 700,000 new arrivals from China. But what is clear is that the country is relying on Chinese tourists, a key and vital market to revive the country's tourism industry as well as stimulate Thailand's economy. That was Jusita Saukra on Thailand's visa-free policy for China. In Europe, it's a crucial week for Spanish politics. Thousands of people have gathered in Madrid's city centre to protest an amnesty law for Catalan separatists after an apparently doomed attempt by the Conservative People's Party to form a government. But acting Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez and his PSOE Socialist Party will likely have to grant amnesty to exiled Catalan leaders if they want to secure another four-year mandate. Ken Brown has more. Six years ago, an illegal independence referendum saw some Catalan leaders flee the country. Carles Puigdemont, the most prominent. Now, over two months since Spain's July general elections, the country still doesn't have a government, and forming one could hang on this one decision. This protest is also a rallying cry ahead an attempt by Conservative leader Alberto Núñez Feijó to become Spain's new Prime Minister. The problem is that his People's Party didn't win enough seats in Congress despite their uneasy alliance with far-right party Vox. It's false, completely false, that Catalan independence should be decisive in Spain's governance. For decades, it's never had fewer votes than now. It's another socialist fallacy. Acting Prime Minister Pedro Sánchez has the only realistic chance of winning a new mandate with a broad leftist coalition, but he needs the support of the hardline Catalan Junts party. The price is the pardon of its leader Puigdemont and his colleagues. I've seen some of the things that have been said, not just by the opposition, but also in the conservative media, and we've had five years of apocalyptic prophecies that have never come to pass. Sanchez opponents say he is negotiating with fugitives and traitors. Estamos gobernados por una persona que es un enfermo. We have a madman in power right now. He's neurotic and narcissistic. Look up the definition in any psychology book and see how it matches his behavior. He lies and manipulates the public. Push the one has to face the law. That's what justice is about, to be responsible for his actions. Like any other citizen, we're all accountable for our own actions. Catalan independence remains the most divisive issue in Spanish politics, and the government has defended its conciliatory approach. They have already pardoned nine Catalan separatists. That was Ken Brown on the protest in Spain. Finally, in North America, NASA's first asteroid samples fetched from deep space have parachuted into the Utah desert to cap a seven-year journey. In a flyby of Earth, the OSIRIS-REx spacecraft released the sample capsule from 100,000 kilometers out. The small capsule landed four hours later on a remote expanse of military land. Scientists estimate the capsule holds at least a cup of rubble from the carbon-rich asteroid known as Bennu. The samples are likely to offer fresh insights into the formation of the solar system 4.6 billion years ago and potentially shed light on the origins of life on Earth. NASA plans a public show-and-tell in October. We get more from Hendrik Sibrandi. Here 
At Lockheed Martin, the Colorado Aerospace Company, where the OSIRIS-REx spacecraft was designed and built, a full range of emotions was on display as a sample return capsule landed in the Utah desert. I'm super excited. That could not have gone any better. And Sandy Freund, who helped run the mission, described the tense hours leading up to and then including the successful touchdown. All went exactly and, and maybe even better than we could possibly hoped. The SRC, as it's called, arrived three minutes earlier than had been predicted. Lockheed Martin delivers ahead of schedule. Uh, <laughs> that's liftoff of OSIRIS-REx. OSIRIS-REx blasted off back in 2016, bound for Bennu, a near-Earth asteroid located many millions of kilometers from our planet. Four years later, during a delicate touch-and-go maneuver, it scooped up an estimated 250 grams of rocks and dust. Then, carrying its precious cargo, it began making its way back home. The organically rich material on board could potentially be very revealing. As a kid, even now, right, you always ask, where did we come from, right? And to be able to have scientists who may be able to answer that question is, is almost surreal. Scientists like Dante Loretta who was part of the team that elaborately rehearsed the retrieval of the SRC back in June. Bennu may once have seeded Earth with the prebiotic ingredients needed to form life. Which means you can extrapolate it back to the earliest history of Earth and evaluate is this a reasonable environment to be speculating for the origin of life on our planet. The asteroid material must be recovered and transported extremely carefully. Science really requires us to maintain the pristine state of this material from the moment we collected it on the surface of asteroid venue to the moment it gets into laboratories for scientific analysis. That process is now underway. Those connected with the mission at Lockheed Martin have done their part. It's the million little things that the team plans for and that millions of hours they've spent preparing for this. It's amazing seeing their reaction and their pure joy to, to this event. It's, it's really fun to watch. The OSIRIS-REx spacecraft is now bound for another asteroid, having deposited its sample, which will now be sent to NASA's Space Center in Houston for a first look by scientists and then a more public reveal, which is scheduled for October 11th. Congratulations. Congratulations. That was Hendrik Sibrandi reporting on NASA's first asteroid samples. U.S. Republican lawmakers are trying to introduce legislation aimed at avoiding a government shutdown in less than a week. But a small faction of their hardline conservative colleagues are opposing them, demanding that their leaders trim spending to lower debts. Owen Faircloth has the latest. We're making an order consideration of four bills. Working through the weekend to try to pull the U.S. government back from the precipice. Republicans who control the House of Representatives racing against time to try to introduce legislation aimed at keeping critical government agencies funded as a shutdown looms. Kevin McCarthy, the leading Republican in Congress, is under pressure to stop a shutdown by getting rebellious hardline Republicans determined to cut spending on side. We continue to talk. Look, I thought we had a really good conference the night before. I thought we had moved two people, but we moved two people the other way too. So it's a, it's a yin and a yang. And it's deja vu. The same Republican divisions led to the U.S. almost defaulting on its debts in June before Congress voted to raise spending limits and keep the government running through the summer. President Biden is urging his opponents to set aside their internal divisions 
that have triggered previous government shutdowns. But that faction of ultra-conservative Republicans are opposing a short-term funding measure known as a continuing resolution. That just leads to more of the same. It's actually precisely the reason that we are $33 trillion in debt facing $2 trillion annual deficits. We cannot go on as a country that spending $7 trillion and bringing in $5 trillion. So I hope we could get bipartisan agreement to reduce spending. If lawmakers are unable to agree on a continuing resolution, the federal government risks shutting down at midnight on September the 30th. That was Owen Faircloth reporting on the looming government shutdown in the U.S. Before we go, the headlines again. Thousands of ethnic Armenians have packed up to leave Nagorno-Karabakh after the Azerbaijani army took over the disputed region. A space probe carrying asteroid fragments which could help scientists understand how life began on Earth has landed in the United States. And the new government of Thailand has waived visa requirements for travellers from China for the next five months. That's it for this edition of The Top Story, a podcast that brings you world headlines every weekday. For more news in politics, business, sports and culture, you can subscribe to the Beijing Hour, a one-hour podcast news magazine program. We welcome and appreciate all ratings and reviews. I'm Zhu Tianlu. Thank you for listening.